Church, it's so good to be with you today, even like this, um, in Austin, Texas, where it's always winter and never Christmas. I felt like one of those old school Puritan pastors this week when I had to prepare the sermon in the dark by the dim light of the fireplace because our power went out until I realized that I was still typing on my laptop and still had some still had some juice. And uh, it was also tethered to my iPhone for a hotspot. Um, and so we thank God for even just technology that we're able to meet together like this. Last week, we jumped back into the Gospel of Matthew as we looked at this incredible occasion when the veil that separated us from God was not yet torn down, but it was pulled back for a moment, as it were. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain by themselves, and we're told that he was transfigured before them. His face and his clothes shone like the sun. Moses is there. And Elijah is there, and God the Father was also there, delighting it in it all. And as Pastor Ross taught us, what you have at the Transfiguration is this glorious picture of your whole Bible, our whole Bible, the law, which is represented by Elijah, the, the, the prophets, uh, Moses and Elijah, and all of it just pointing to Jesus. But the true miracle of the moment was not how Jesus could display such glory, where this is precisely who he is, but how such glory could ever be veiled. For what manner of humility is this? How deep is condescension for us to cover up such glory with human flesh and in order that we might in order that he might identify with us in all of our weaknesses? Jesus on this high mountain, for a brief moment, put on pause the miracle of the incarnation in order to give his people a glimpse into who he really is and what he's really like so that they might be anchored and prepared for all that would come their way. But as wonderful as this mountaintop experience was, they couldn't stay there. The mission was not yet accomplished. So Jesus took his disciples back down the mountain. And we're tempted to say here that they went back down to reality. But make no mistake, up there, that was reality. Up there where the glory of Jesus without a veil could be clearly seen and experienced, that's reality. Jesus and his disciples were coming down once again to a place where we could only see through shadows and as through a glass dimly, the glory of Jesus. They were coming down to a place where sinful men close their eyes and shout at the skies that there's no sun, to a place where even us, the church, those that belong to him can only make out just the outlines of his glory because of the littleness of our faith. After the mountaintop, they came back down to the valley and Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 17, this is what they came down to. Matthew chapter 17, verse, verses 14 through 20. It says this, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? 
how long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately saying, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. What a juxtaposition, right? On the mountaintop above, the father is pleased and the valley below, this earthly father is tortured. On the mountaintop above, the perfect sun and his glory is shining like the sun. In the valley below, this demon-possessed sun is thrashing and foaming and seizing. On the mountaintop above, the disciples whose faith had become sight and holy wonder. In the valley below are failed disciples because of the littleness of their faith. There's a long journey between the true reality put on display on the mountaintop and this veiled reality in the valley below. And so... How can this long journey be bridged? How can the reality of what we so surely know about Jesus up there on the mountaintop, his glory, his goodness, his centrality, reach down here in our everyday life experiences, especially the hard and painful ones? The question I want us to ask from the very outset is, how can the mountaintop be moved and and be brought down here in the valley of everyday life. Because to be sure, Jesus still grants us those mountaintop experiences, doesn't he? Whether it's a particular time in God's word or during a sermon where you feel like God is particularly and specifically talking just to you, or times in prayer or in worship where you not only know that God is with you, but you can feel it. Times when his presence and his nearness to you is so real and it's so tangible. It's through the grace of these moments that we get an assurance that our King Jesus is sovereign and in control, that he's at the center, that he's glorious, that he loves us. But then sooner or later, we have to go back down the mountain, don't we? Back to a place where all the distractions and the worries of life begin to once again veil these glorious realities of the person of Jesus. And that's what we're ultimately dealing with in this story. How can we hold on to it? How can we hold on to what we so surely know and have experienced Jesus to be in those mountaintop moments up there? How can we hold on to it and bring it down here? How can the mountaintop of wonder and worship be brought down into the valley of trials and tears? How can the mountain be moved? So as we look at the story today, let's break it up very simply in this way. First, the problem. Second, the real problem. And lastly, the solution. The problem, the real problem, and the solution. First, the problem. What's the problem that's revealing the littleness of disciples' faith in Jesus here? And what's the problem that made this father so desperate and questioning whether Jesus even had the power to help? And what are the problems that we face that make us doubt and forget the reality of who Jesus is? We read the narrative in Matthew already, but Mark comes along and he offers more details to the story. Let's read that. Mark chapter 9, 
Starting in verse 17, it says, And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Verse 20, And they brought the boy to him, and the spirits... When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and it fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. So when you put Matthew chapter 17 and Mark chapter 9 together, what's the problem we're facing here? The problem that problem is that there's a, there's a case of a demon-possessed child, but let's dig a little bit into the condition of this child. And in doing so, perhaps we can see the nature of our own problems that make us doubt and forget who Jesus is. First, the Father says, the Spirit that it seizes him, it takes him. In other words, it's a problem that they have no control over. We tend to doubt and forget Jesus when a problem comes along into our lives that we just don't seem to have any control over. Maybe you've come to know and love the fact that Jesus is the great physician, right? That is able to heal every kind of sickness and all sorts of disease. But when it's your disease or your loved one's sickness, that truth about Jesus that you were so previously sure of doesn't seem to help you very much now. Why? Because it's no longer some theoretical disease or someone else's sickness, but your own. And the problem seems completely outside of your control. So first, we when we face problems in our lives that seem out of control, that's when we begin to doubt and forget the reality of who Jesus is. Next, in Mark 925, Jesus calls this spirit a mute and deaf spirit. This demon has rendered this child both deaf and mute. What we see here is that another type of problem that makes us lose faith in Jesus are problems that render us deaf and mute. What do I mean by that? I mean that whenever the problem is in your life, it, it makes you deaf to wisdom and truth. Or perhaps you're dealing with someone else in your life that has a problem like this, a problem that has rendered them deaf. With others, you may be able to speak your soft words of encouragement. Your gentle words pointing them to God's word may calm their worries and remind them once again of our Jesus who has promised to never leave us and forsake us. But there are problems that we face sometimes that are so extreme that you may quote God's promises. You may supply encouragements and you may explain precious doctrines, but they just can't hear you. Not only that, but the severity of the problem has also rendered them mute. When you ask them what's wrong, they just don't know how to communicate it or they try to explain it to you, but it just doesn't make sense. Have you ever been through anything so painful that even when you try to go pray, you have no intelligible words to offer even to Jesus. All you can get out is a cry, a groan of pain and anguish. Have you ever been there before? 
problems that are so severe that it makes us unable to hear truth and unable to articulate our condition, unable to articulate our need. Problems like this make us dwindle in our faith in Jesus. Notice also what the Father says in Matthew 17, verse 16. He says, And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Jesus had given the disciples the authority to cast out demons back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him, his 12 disciples, and he gave them the authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. What the Father is saying here is, I've tried to deal with this problem the right way, Jesus. He's saying, I didn't abandon my son because he was too much to handle. He's saying, I didn't take him to some witch doctor or make sacrifices to an idol, some false god to try to cure him. He's saying, Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples, the ones you gave the power to cast out demons and heal diseases. The father is saying, Jesus, I did everything right, and it still didn't work. And perhaps for many of you, this is what's breaking you up inside. You're saying, Jesus, the reason why I'm doubting that you are who you really say you are is because I did all that I was supposed to do. I read my Bible, came to church, I met with the pastor, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, but it didn't work, Jesus. None of it worked. Charles Spurgeon says, it becomes a painful case when an ancient, anxious soul has gone to the house of God for years and yet has found no consolation. When the troubled spirit has sought help from ministers, from Christian men and women, when prayers have been offered and not answered, tears have been shed and have been unavailing, there are such instances in which all human agency is put to the rout and when it seems as impossible to comfort the poor, troubled one as to calm the waves of the sea or hush the voice of the thundercloud. And Jesus asks the Father in verse 21, how long has this been happening to him? And the Father says, from childhood, from childhood. The Father is saying, we've been dealing with this for a long time, Jesus. You're saying, I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do, Jesus, but my sickness still remains. I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do, but my marriage is still falling apart. You're saying, Jesus, I'm doing everything right, but my anxiety and depression is still paralyzing. And, and it's been like this for years. It's been like this for years, for a long time, Jesus. And what we're seeing is that Sometimes, sometimes God permits for purposes which we do not understand, the deep distresses of the soul to last, sometimes for years. But as significant as these problems are, as painful as these problems are, as real as these problems are, are these problems our real problems? What's the real problem, the central problem in this story? The fact that this boy was harassed by a demon? Or was this problem an occasion to expose the real problem in this family's life? If you're having trouble holding on to the glorious Jesus that you know 
have been revealed to you, what would you say is your central problem that's causing your doubts and unbelief? So many times, all that we can see is the problem right in front of us, the problem that we view to be central. We're saying, Jesus, will you just fix this? Will you just get rid of this problem? Then I'll believe. Jesus, this problem that's dominating my thoughts, that's dominating all my energy and all my emotions, just fix it. Then I'll be able to trust you and worship you and have faith once again that you're glorious. And this is where this father is at. Notice this father who is completely depleted. What he says to Jesus, Mark 9, 22, he says, but if you can do anything, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The father says to Jesus, if you can help us. The father says to, to Jesus, if you can help us, not if you will help us, but if you can, to ask Jesus's willingness would have been appropriate. For in Jesus's wisdom that's higher than ours, he has purposes for certain hardships in our lives that we don't know about. But this father wasn't questioning Jesus's willingness. There was something about all that he observed about Jesus that knew, that made him know Jesus was willing. He was questioning Jesus's ability. He was asking, are you even able here? Do you have the power to do anything here? This father, rather than beholding the greatness of Jesus that was standing right in front of him, willing and able to come to his aid, his heart instead was fixated, not on the greatness of Jesus, but on the greatness of his problem. Too many times we allow the greatness of our problem to veil and to hide the greatness of Jesus. So now Jesus exposes the real problem. Jesus, Jesus replies to the Father, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cries out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus exposes the real problem the deeper problem of unbelief, the real problem that can destroy souls. And the father repents immediately. He cries out, Lord, help my unbelief. No longer does he cry out, Lord, help my son. But he cries out, Lord, help my unbelief. The father comes to realize that the real problem, the biggest and central problem to be dealt with here is not first and foremost the sickness of his child, but first and foremost the problem of his own unbelief. Charles Spurgeon says this, it is very noticeable that he does not say, Lord, I believe, help you, my child. No, nor does he say, Lord, I believe, now cast the devil out of my boy. Not at all. He perceives that his own unbelief was harder to overcome than the devil, and that to heal him of his spiritual disease was a more needful work than even to heal his child of the sad malady under which he labored. This is the point to arrive at, to feel that there is no deficiency in the merit of Christ no lack of power in his precious blood, no unwillingness in Christ's heart to save me. But all the hindrance lies in my own unbelief. There is the point 
Oh God, you see this is this is the center of the difficulty. Bring your power to bear on that difficulty. I ask only this. No more do I cry. Help me here or help me there, but help my unbelief. And it's not that Jesus isn't sympathetic to our problems and what this father and his son have been going through for years. Jesus doesn't just care about the real problem. He cares about all our problems. And the very moment the father realizes his deepest need and cries out to Jesus that Jesus help his unbelief, Jesus says in Matthew 17, verse 17, bring him here to me. He says, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Jesus wants to deal with every problem in your life that causes you anguish and pain and suffering. But he wants to first and foremost deal with the real problem, the only problem that has the potential to cause us anguish, pain, and suffering for an, for an eternity. And that's the problem of our own unbelief. And the problem of unbelief was not only the central problem of this father, but it was the central problem for Jesus' disciples also. Verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Why couldn't the disciples cast out this demon, even though Jesus had given them the power to cast out demons? Because of the littleness of their faith, Jesus said, unbelief, lack of faith, littleness of faith in Jesus is always the central problem we have to fight against in whatever we're going through. And so lastly, what's the solution? What does Jesus say? He tells them that if they would have faith like a grain of mustard seed, that they will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for them. Well, that is an incredible promise. But first of all, how can the solution to little faith be little faith? Jesus said, you couldn't cast out this demon because of the littleness of your faith. But then the solution he offers is, if you would just have faith, like what? Faith like a grain of mustard seed, he says, which is just a teeny tiny little thing, right? Many Christians, we misinterpret this text to say, all you have to have is a little faith. Just a little faith can move mountains. We say, that's what we say, but, the, but then we'd be missing the whole point of what the mustard seed rep represents. Jesus said this in Matthew 13, verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed the man, that a man took and he sowed it in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air comes and makes its nest in its branches. The whole point of the mustard seed is that it starts small but it doesn't stay small. 
The point is that if you take your little faith in it and you plant it and root it in Jesus, if you take your little faith and look to Jesus and behold him and who he is and not your problems, then this little seed of faith is going to grow into a tree. Make no mistake, Jesus doesn't delight in our small faith that stays small. What he loves to see is our small faith that grows into a tree. So he's not saying small faith moves mountains. He's saying small faith that grows big moves mountains. He's not saying small faith makes all things possible. He's saying small faith that grows big into a tree makes all things possible. Faith that moves mountains. We've all heard that before, right? Well, what does that mean? If you study the text, most people talk about how this mountain represents some big, immovable problem. And it could mean that. But in this immediate context, what mountain did we just read about? What mountain did Jesus and his disciples just come down from? The Mount of Transfiguration, right? The mountain where Jesus displayed the fullness of his glory. Jesus isn't just saying if you have faith, you'll be able to move mountains and get rid of all your big problems. The goal of faith isn't to just get rid of our problems. The goal of faith is to get more of Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you have faith like a mustard seed, faith that may start small but grows big, as you keep looking to me, you'll be able to move the mountain of transfiguration from up there to down here. All those mountaintop experiences where God gave you the grace to see the greatness of who Jesus is, those times when you experienced so clearly his sovereignty, those times when you were so convinced of his goodness and his love for you, those times when you were so captivated by the faithfulness and the fullness of who he is, by faith you'll be able to take all that you've known and experienced Jesus to be up there and bring it down here in the everyday life. You'll be able to move mountains. That's what faith can do. Your mountaintop knowledge of Jesus doesn't have to stay up there. You can know him. You can have him. You can experience him down here in the everyday, in the middle of whatever difficulty that you're going through. What if you could live every day, every moment, with the full view of Jesus shining like the sun? It doesn't mean that nothing sad is going to happen. It doesn't mean you won't ever experience failures, pains, and tears. It just means that you'll know for sure in the midst of it that he's with you. It just means that by faith you'll feel him strengthening you, helping you, holding you through it all. I want to end our time by sharing with you how we can grow in our faith. Like the Father it's not that we have no faith. It's that we need help with our faith. Jesus, I do believe. Help my unbelief is, is the cry of the believer. So how do we grow in our faith? First, take your problems to Jesus. Your surface ones and your central one. When it came to the problem of his child, Jesus said, bring him here to me, right? So bring the child to me. 
When it came to the deeper problem of the father's unbelief, what did the father do? The father didn't say, okay, Jesus, I'll go work on that. I'll go work on my belief. But he took it straight to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I do believe. Will you, will you help my unbelief? How many problems in our lives would be solved if we just first brought them to Jesus? Maybe God has given you the amazing gift of an incredible spouse. Maybe he's given you the gift of truly close friends that love you, that loves Jesus. But when a problem enters, when something overwhelming enters that's shaking your faith, who do you first take it to? Don't let the gift of good relationships make you neglect Jesus. We don't grow in our faith by just somehow believing more. We grow in our faith by beholding more. And we can't behold more of Jesus unless we go to him. And what's one way of going to him? Through prayer. Through prayer. We also grow in our faith through prayer. Jesus invited his father, this father, to fully lay out all the particulars of the evil and the suffering that had befallen his son, right? Now, did Jesus need to hear all that for his information? No. Even before the father spoke a word, Jesus knew. But nevertheless, he invited him to tell it. Often when working miracles, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? He loves to hear you tell him. Not just blindly and generally, God, will you help me? But he loves to hear you specifically tell him in detail what's going on in your life. So that as he hears you, as he answers your prayers perfectly in the way that is best, you'll grow in your faith. And one more. We grow in our faith by having hope. Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So the greater our hope, the greater our faith. And what hope do we have? What hope did Jesus give us? The great hope that Jesus is giving us to grow our faith is the promise that all things are possible to those who believe. What does Jesus mean that all things are possible if you believe? That nothing will be impossible for you? What was he saying? Was he saying that if you believe, that if you really believe that right now it'll be 70 degrees and sunny outside? No, again, look at the context. He was saying to his, to his failed disciples, nothing will be impossible for you, which is in the framework of my promise to you. He's saying, I gave you the authority. I gave you the command to cast out demons and heal every disease and affliction. And so you should have believed. You shouldn't have given up so easily. You should have persisted. You should have kept praying. You should have kept believing and trusting. What Jesus is saying here is everything, everything that I command of you, everything, everything that I have promised you is possible for you if you believe. If you believe. Church, that's the great hope that we have. The hope that fuels and grows our faith, that everything that God commands of us it's possible. Think about that. Everything that God has promised you in his word is sure to be fulfilled, no matter how impossible it may seem now. His command for you to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, 
for you to be holy as he is holy. You may be saying, but I've been struggling with this sin for years now. All things are possible if you believe. His will for your marriage, that it be a reflection of Christ and his church, it's possible. But you're saying my marriage has been falling apart for years and we're on the brink of divorce. All things are possible for those who believe. His command for us to share the gospel with our neighbors, to take the good news of the gospel to all the nations, it's possible. His command for us to forgive like we've been forgiven, it's possible. His command for us to love mercy and do justice, even in the, even in the most broken of places, it's possible. His promise to you that he will work all things, including whatever you think is your greatest problem now, for your good, for his glory. All things are possible for those who believe. And when we struggle to believe, let our prayer be, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus doesn't command impossible things of you, church. The only limiting factor, the only limiting factor when it comes to the things that he wills and he commands in our lives is not his willingness. He's willing. It's not his ability. He's able, but it's our believing. The only limiting factor to us being able to fully carry out all that he commands us to be, the only limiting factor for us to live out all that he wills us to live out is our believing, our faith. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? And this is the masterpiece of faith. When we believe in hope against hope, when the thing commanded, willed, and promised to you, it surpasses your all your thoughts of possibility, one thought overcomes them all, that he is faithful. The thing surpasses all my thoughts, but faithful is my Lord. It reminds me of the words of an old hymn. It says this, faith. Mighty faith, the promises, and looks to that alone, laughs at impossibilities, and cries, it shall be done. Faith, mighty faith, the promises, and looks to that alone, it laughs at impossibilities, and cries, it shall be done. Let's pray together, church. What is it that God is commanding of you? Church, what is it that God has been commanding of you? And it's he's been commanding it of you for a while now. And perhaps you've been ignoring it. Or perhaps you've been trying over and over and over again, but you're failing and you're like, this is impossible. It's making you question his willingness, it's making you question his ability. Make no mistake, he is willing, he is able, and he is there to help you. Will you pray? Will you tell him, Lord, I believe? Lord, I believe. Will you help my unbelief? For those of you that find yourselves right now in a valley right now. 
Perhaps Peter had the his experience of the Mount of Transfiguration in mind when he said, Though you do not see him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In the deepest of the valley right now, you may not see him. Will you tell him, Jesus, I don't see you, but I believe in you. In the deepest and the darkest of the valley, you may not now see him. But will you tell him, Jesus, though I do not now see you, I love you. Even rejoice with joy, inexpressible and filled with glory. So, Father, wherever we're at right now, Lord, you see the condition of our hearts. You see where it's at. You see the condition of our faith. Lord, we believe. Father, as a church, we say to you together, we believe. Help us believe. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.